DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is a professor of spiritual theology at St. John Vianney Theological Seminary in Denver, Colorado. He's a graduate of the Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas in Rome. He specializes in the wisdom of the saints and the mystics of the church. He is also the author of Hidden Mountain, Secret Garden, a theological contemplation of prayer. In this episode, we examine the life of St. Catherine of Siena. Pope Benedict XVI has said that Catherine still today speaks to us and impels us to walk courageously toward holiness, to be ever more fully disciples of the Lord. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis, I'm your host, Chris McGregor. In this episode of Beginning to Pray, Dr. Lillis continues his teachings on St. Bernard and the Twelve Steps to Humility and Pride. Is the humility, Anthony, then, in understanding that, for that pain, that ultimately, under our own power, it's transferred? We move it to another location, whether it be another person or another aspect of our lives, but the pain never really leaves because we all we've done is transferred it, passed it on, as opposed to that Catholic Christian understanding in which allowing Christ in and that humility of letting go of it and giving it to him, it's transformed. That's what Christ wants to do with that pain is transform it into something that is very, very beautiful and edifying for the whole body of Christ. You're right. The the only thing I would say is that the people who put their pain onto other people and expect other people in their lives, even their children, to bear their pain for them, sadly enough, it never works. Mm-hmm. The thing that caused the pain to begin with is still in you, and that pain is going to come back to you even worse later on. It's the pain of hell, and unless we pain of alienation, the pain of loneliness, the pain of uh, crushing sorrow, sorrow that overwhelms us, and learn how to begin to submit that to God and listen to him, he can give us everything we need to deal with that pain. He really wants to do that. He will put people in our lives. He will give us the graces we need at each moment if we turn to him and rely on him to bear that pain. And so as we bear it, there's space in our lives so he can transform it into something beautiful, something redemptive. The cross tells us that pain has a deeper meaning, a meaning that goes beyond overwhelming sorrow, a meaning that goes beyond something that dehumanizes us. The cross reveals to us the painful things that are done to us in our lives that happen to us can be brought into the plan of the Father, and God can do something extremely beautiful. But for him to do it, we've got to trust. We've got to trust. And this is what the first step of humility. Humility, the word comes from humus. Humus means fertile soil. For those of you who are not farmers, you know, this is going to be rather graphic, but the way you make soil fertile is that you sow manure in it. Mm-hmm. It needs fertilizer or it won't be fertile and it needs to be plowed and worked. If you're unwilling to work the soil, to uh, turn it up, to irrigate it and to fertilize it, you won't have fertile soil to grow anything with. Just like that's true with the earth, that's true with our hearts too. God 
permits sorrowful, difficult, painful things to happen in our lives because he wants our hearts to be fruitful. And so he allows a lot of very difficult things to happen. He sows manure in our lives, if you will. You can use uh, other words for then uh, manure is probably far too. He, he allows these awful things to happen to us. He allows us to suffer very, very difficult things, not because he doesn't love us and not because he wants us to suffer. He wants to rescue us from the dehumanizing place we're in. We don't even realize the power. But to do that, like a good surgeon, sometimes he has to do some very, very painful things in our lives. Otherwise, we will die of the disease we have. And the, the disease is called sin. The disease is called death, humility, knowing the truth about who I am and allowing the Lord to make space in my life for his word to be sown in my heart means not trying to escape suffering the suffering that comes from my station in life, the suffering that I have because I'm husband or a wife or a mother or a father or a son or a daughter, somebody uh, entrusted with great authority and responsibility for others. We don't escape those things. We accept those things from God and we offer the pain to him and plead with him, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's why the first step of humility is to recognize the truth about who I am before God, that I am a sinner who needs salvation. And to accept that truth means I am not going to try to run away from the obligations that the Lord has put in my life and from the suffering that comes with it. Instead, I'm going to commit myself to learning how to offer it to him. And I might fail a million times, but I am going to die offering this back to him in love because only he can save me. I cannot save myself. And that's the first step of humility. What's the next step with St. Bernard? The second step of humility, and we won't go through all the steps, mm -hmm. but you need to understand he's envisioning a ladder, Jacob's ladder from the story where Jacob saw the ladder with the angels going down and up. Mm -hmm. But the way he envisions the ladder, Jesus is at the top of the ladder looking out on us with his arms outstretched, waiting for us to climb this ladder. And so the first step of the ladder is this humility that by which I realize I'm, I'm a sinner. The second step is equally as hard, perhaps even more so. And that step is to step up and say, you know, Lord, I see evil all around me, but out of compassion and love, as I look at what's going on in the lives of others, with compassion and love, I realize that all men are liars. Everyone has sinned and fallen short. Now, it's easy to see that everybody else is rotten in your life, but it's very hard to see it with compassion and love. Only a soul that is convinced that it is a sinner, that I am a sinner who stands in need of the grace of God, that I am deservant of hell because of what I have done. Only a soul that can take responsibility for his own action, uh, have compassion and mercy for those who are sinning all around all the time. In our marriages, we're not very compassionate to one another and we're not merciful to one another because we haven't even taken the first step of humility. But when you take the first step, the second step becomes a possibility, a possibility of seeing, yes, this person I'm living with that I married is a sinner too, and they have a lot of pain in their life. And I know what that pain is because I'm dealing with the same pain myself. 
And out of mercy, I can't let them suffer that alone. Out of mercy for them, I need to help them suffer that. I need to be with them in the midst of that. I need to protect their dignity. Because even though they are a liar, God didn't make them to be a liar. God made them for the truth. And such a soul that begins to see this has the humility to begin to love others. And to begin to love others in that kind of truth. In a truth that sees the wickedness that's there, but also sees the goodness and sees that that goodness is worth laying one's own life down for. That soul is on a a pathway to sanctity. That soul has already begun to climb up into the arms of Jesus. That soul's already begun to learn to look into Jesus. If we look at our pain and we look at our misery without looking into the eyes of Jesus who's reaching over that ladder, reaching for us, we are overwhelmed. We're like Peter on the sea. He saw Jesus and while he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was able to walk through the stormy sea. The moment he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the waves and they were high and they were awful, he began to sink. He began to be overwhelmed. Jesus had to come and pull him up. Jesus may have to come and pull us up hundreds of times, thousands of times throughout our lives. But if we look to him, he is able to pull us up. And the trials and hardships of this life will not overwhelm us. Because at the end of the day, evil does not win. For those who trust in Jesus, for those who believe in the love of God, evil is not victorious. And our hope is unvanquished as long as we, as long as we cleave to him. This is the message of St. Bernard. This is the truth about who we are. The truth about who we are is Jesus. Jesus Christ is there for us. And he is the one who delivers us from our misery. And not only delivers us, but delivers those we love the most. Those we want, we most want to thrive and have an abundant life. He is there to deliver them too. But he needs our help. He needs us to be able to climb the second step of humility. The step by which we see with compassion and mercy that everyone else is a sinner too. Everyone else is in need of salvation too. And that our only salvation is in the name of the Lord. These are from the first two steps of humility in St. Bernard. Mm-hmm. Once you get to the pinnacle of humility, you can fall back into pride. And St. Bernard says, and I kind of end with this, the first step back down into pride is to be inordinately curious about what's going on in the lives of others. Mm-hmm. I offer that to uh, those of you who are listening to this now. There is a kind of being concerned for others that is motivated by love. And when it's motivated by love, you want to extend that saving, loving hand. There is also a kind of curiosity that disposes you to make judgments about people in your heart. And those judgments make it so hard to love one another. They block off your ability to relate to them. And that's why if you find yourself curious and meddling in the affairs of others where you don't belong, that's something to begin to repent of because you've already sunk, you've already stepped down into pride and that pride will destroy you. You need to climb back up into the arms of Jesus. You know, I'm I'm thinking that this has been something that has plagued us since the beginning of time. I mean, St. Bernard would write about this in the year 1000. Jane Austen would write about it in a book called Emma. You know, mm. there it, it plagues us. 
but even more so in our time because we have what Elizabeth Ann Seton termed the black box that mm. would uh, bring the devil into our homes. And we have a television and computers that thrive on gossip 24 seven news mm. cycles where we have reality shows that have us peer into the lives of others and make judgment calls on their behavior. And that type of situation that we find ourselves on in this world has never been known, Anthony, I, I dare say, in all of that human history. Mm-hmm. I know we are poisoned by all kinds of gossip all day long. And, and I think we need to take some radical steps in our lives to protect ourselves from that poison, which means sometimes turning things off that are bad for us to hear or bad for us to see. We'll return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. A Prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. The Magnificat My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. 
we know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. His teachings are really quite remarkable, aren't they, given the fact they were written around the turn of the first millennium? Yes, and they still speak to us today. When you're looking at concept of person, his concept of person, and his treatise on love, we tend to live by that which is feasible. Bernard tended to live by means of that which is, that which we see. And what do we see by faith? And I talked about the saving truth, but if you look at the saving truth, at the heart of the saving truth is the mystery of the Holy Trinity. And to believe in that mystery, to gaze on that mystery with love, to believe the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are a communion of love that come before all things and to which all things are ordered, is to choose to live in a radically different world from everybody else around us. We've been inculcated to think that life is kind of, in one way or another, a sort of survival of the fittest, that we uh, make our way by a certain kind of contest of wills, and that there are supermen and underlings, and if you aren't going to submit to the supermen, you kind of get pushed out of the way. And then if we're going to make something of ourselves, if we're going to be happy, we do so at the expense of others so that we can be on top. That's just the way we've been conditioned to think. Darwin put this together in his thought. He was a great biologist, I'm sure, but when he started to try to do theology with his biological findings in terms of the development of species and so forth, or the evolution of species, I think his theology was awful. In his theology, it's uh, all about contention and fighting, and underneath his worldview is a kind of malice towards others, where you look at others as enemies or potential threats that must be overcome. This was not only in his biological theory. He didn't invent that out of nowhere. He Mm -hmm. received that worldview from some of the Enlightenment thinkers before him, and we don't have time to go into that today. What I would say, though, is that the Christian worldview of St. Bernard and St. Benedict and St. Hildegard, whom we'll see next week, at the heart of reality is the Holy Trinity. And the Holy Trinity is a communion of life and love. And if I'm, if I'm gazing on that, if I'm spending time with that mystery every day in silent prayer, saying, where is this love in the universe? I don't see it. I don't see it in the midst of the pain I'm in. I don't see it in the midst of these relationships. Where is it? If we seek it, we will find it. And that's the first principle of Querere Deum from St. Benedict is that we're seeking God because he's worth finding. And so we read these texts over and over and we let them enter our hearts because as we find that reality, it changes our lives. There's an answer for the misery and the pain that's in our lives. And the answer is the truth. 
the truth that has come to us in a person and that person is Christ Jesus. And Jesus reveals to us the Father, the whole mystery of the Trinity, and gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we can know how to live and love God. So that's that's the beginning. If love then is the deepest truth about human existence, if this is that for which we are made and that which made us, if love is what made us and love is what we've been made for, then how we mature, how we enter into a maturity as uh, Christian men and women will also be characterized by love. And Bernard explores this in his treatise on the degrees of love or his treatise on love. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to have to look at person a little bit different than we're inclined to look at person or individual today. In that, on loving God by St. Bernard, I mean, he opens up with a questions. It seems as though there are many of those in this. And it starts out, why should we love God? This powerful question, uh, why should we love God? The answer, of course, is because God loves us and he loves us immeasurably. And the only proper response to the immeasurable love of God uh, that has been lavished in our lives, and we're not even aware of it, but it's, it is being lavished in our lives even right now. No matter our pain or our suffering, we are immersed in the love of God. We're just, we might be cold to it. We might be hard-hearted to it. We might not be aware of it, but it's all around us. What's the proper response to that? Once you begin to see that love, the more you see that love, you realize the only proper response to the love of God in our lives is to love him with all our strength, with all our might, with all our our minds, with all our whole being, because it's the only way you can, the only proper way you can respond to the immeasurable love of God. The immeasurable love of God for us requires on our part an immeasurable response in return. And those who are willing to make that response, they find themselves on a pathway to human maturity. It's just exquisite. It's absolutely beautiful. To begin with, we need to look at the concept of person. We tend to look at person as isolated individual. I'm a person against other people who are out there. And as I said at one point, you know, unless I fight for what I need, it's going to be taken away from me. I'm going to be vulnerable. And so in that worldview, there's a lot of enmity between us and we are alienated from one another. And ultimately, because of the alienation, we suffer from tremendous loneliness. You know, loneliness, I think, in our marriages, in fact, has been one of the the things that have wrecked so many marriages. You have people living together who are extremely lonely because they are living together as alienated individuals. And Bernard is going to show us the pathway from this alienation into becoming a true, full person. So what is Bernard's concept of person? Bernard's ultimate concept of person comes from his contemplation of the Holy Trinity. And if you look at the Holy Trinity... Everything the Father has belongs to the Son, and everything the Son has belongs to the Father, and they share that love for one another through um, the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the communicator of all the gifts of the Father and the Son to each other that we get to participate in when we receive that gift. In other words, Bernard's vision of the Trinity is a vision of a communion of persons who are perpetually, eternally, and always for each other. They're always 
um, implicated in in each other's will and each other's knowledge. Uh, they they're always sharing these goods among each other's persons, and they're able to do this because they have one divine will and one divine uh, knowledge, uh, one mind. God is simple. God is one. We are able to do this because we are created in the image and likeness of that simplicity. That simplicity that is revealed in the gift of person. A person given over for love. And even Vatican II reaffirms this teaching that we find in St. Bernard. We find in Vatican II in the, the document Gaudium et Spes, it's somewhere after paragraph 22. I don't have the paragraph number in front of me right now. The Gaudium et Spes or dogmatic constitution of the church in the modern world says that God has created us in such wise that we only discover the truth about who we are by the gift of ourselves, only as we give ourselves to another do we discover the truth about who we really are. And that conviction that we find in Vatican II, we find in this treatise by St. Bernard about who the human person is. The human person is someone who's the truth of which is revealed in the giving of themselves to another. And that's what marriage is supposed to be. And we're going to see that more with St. Hildegard. For now, we're going to step back from the question of marriage and just kind of look at what does this look like for the human person? What does it look like as they give themselves over to greater and greater love? And, and so he's going to give us four degrees of this. And these degrees, the way he calls them is very counterintuitive. And I actually know scholars who would kind of object to some of his language in, in this. But once you see what he's trying to get at, his points are, are valid and beautiful points. But what are these four degrees? He says the first degree of love, the first step of learning to love is to love yourself for your own sake. And we'll come back to that, but let me just list these first because it isn't that counterintuitive. He's going to tell us how we are to love God, but he begins with you can't even love God until you love yourself for your own sake. Mm -hmm. And then the second step is that you need to learn to love God for your own sake. And so those two steps, don't they sound just a little bit selfish? I'm loving myself and I'm loving God for me. <laughs> you know? It could lead to the potential of self-absorption. It, it, it could, except if you keep in mind the self, the I that Bernard has in mind. Bernard can't conceive of a self that's alienated, an, indiv an alienated individual that's self-absorbed. Because for him, the self is always in communion, always implicated with everybody else. And so we're going to see that to love yourself for your own sake means to also love your neighbor for his own sake. And to love God for your own sake means to love God not only for your sake, but also for your neighbor's sake. And so it's, do you mm -hmm. see it's very mm -hmm. relational? That's right. Sounds like a trinity almost. It becomes that because uh, the third step – and this tr kind of trans is a movement into deeper kind of life with God. I would call it the mystical life. The first two degrees of love are ascetical. This is what I can do in my life with the help of grace. But the second two loves are loves that God does in me when I say yes to him. And so that is to love God for God's own sake going to see what this means. We'll conclude our discussion with Dr. Lillis on the teachings of St. Bernard in our next episode. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this episode 
along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com or download the free Discerning Hearts app located at the iTunes and Google Play app stores. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.